we're going to continue. If you've missed any of the last two Thursday nights, I would encourage you to catch up. And uh, that way you know the context of all of this and you don't miss it. So let's read a couple of verses, just refresher and context as we get into some more of this tonight. 2 Peter 1 and 3, According as His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I spent a lot of time on it last week. I'm not going to do that tonight, but remind you, He has given. I've done something several times now. I don't think I've done it every day, but several days since last Thursday night. And, and, and I can't put it into words. I can't, I can't, I can't clearly articulate it. But, but most, most mornings, I think it's been, I have, I have said something along these lines. God, I, I confess that I believe that you have given to me all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so I want that to be free to work. I don't want uh, whatever hindrances I may have or whatever obstacles there may be to that, I want that removed because you said you've given it. The Scripture says, I believe, therefore have I we believe, therefore we speak. Verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, so, so you've got these promises. He's already given to you the things that pertain to life and godliness. So you have that. Now beside that or to that, give all diligence. Be, be fervent. Be passionate. Be on purpose about adding to your faith virtue and to virtue not knowledge. We covered, we covered last week. We got caught up in the previous verses, but we, we covered last week virtue. Virtue, I remind you, Jesus said it, I used it, I think, Sunday morning. Jesus, when the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, he said, I perceive virtue has gone out of me. That word virtue there in the Greek is a very different word. I, I came across something... <laughs> Uh, I came across something on Facebook a couple of days ago. Somebody posted this link for this video on YouTube. And this guy, he was a pastor, and apparently it was a church service. And, and the, 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 the title of, his, of the video was something along the lines of why you should not use Strong's Concordance. And I wish I could remember the way this guy said this, but he said the King James Version is the divinely inspired preserve, or version to preserve the Bible. That's not the exact way he said it, but that's the gist. And, and, the, and he went through this message as to why, as us in English, we should not refer to Hebrew or Greek words because we were given the Bible in English without mistakes or error, and it was divinely translated. And I'm sitting there, and in just you know, in just a matter of 
three or four minutes, I watched several minutes of this. I mean, there was like so many things. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I don't, how in the world are you that blinded and deceived? I mean, we get the word at perf- one of one of the many examples, but the you know, we, we have the English word virtue. I just read it to you, but they're not the same Greek words. <laughs> when Jesus said it with the woman of the issue of blood, that word there means power. This word here doesn't mean power. It's talking about strength and it's talking about our commitment and it's growing in our, in our stamina, if you will. But all we need is the King James. Okay. So add to your faith virtue. Again, we covered virtue last week and tonight we're going to continue on. So now he says add to virtue Knowledge. The Living Bible says, But to obtain these gifts, you need more than faith. You must also work hard to be good, and even that is not enough. For when, for then, you must learn to know God better and discover what He wants you to do. You must learn to know God better. Weist says, and for this very cause, having added on your part, having added on your part every intense effort, provide lavishly in your faith the aforementioned virtue, and in the virtue, experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge. So I got faith, I add virtue, and now I am adding Knowledge. The word knowledge in the Greek, I guess that guy would turn me off already because here we go and we'll do it more. (laughs) The word knowledge in the Greek means to learn to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of. It is to know or to understand, to perceive, to have knowledge of. It is to become acquainted with, particularly the one true God in contrast with polytheism of the Gentiles. It's to know the things which proceed from the Spirit. To know. To know. There are times now, and I do it every now and then, and still it's kind of funny because at first still, at times... More and more she recognizes it for what it is, but at times she still kind of misses it. But there there are things that I can say the exact words and actually put the exact same inflection on those statements as my wife. What's funny is sometimes when I'm doing it to be funny and she misses it and she's like, you know what? 27 years ago, I didn't really know how to do that. 27 years ago, I didn't really know how to say what she was going to say. 27 years in, again, there are times where literally, I, I may not say it, but I can be thinking about a split second ahead of what she is actually saying. Any, any other couples? Yeah. 
And I see the, the couples I see raising their hands are not newlyweds. Because to get there, you have to get to know. And to get to know, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes being on purpose. I keep hammering it, or I don't know about hammering it, but I've said it the last two Thursday nights. I'm going to say it again tonight. What did you do Monday? What did you do Tuesday? What did you do yesterday to purposely build on your faith and add virtue onto that and add not? What did you do? It is to get to know. I promise you, I don't care how long it's been since you got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. There is so much more of God for you to get to know. And I don't care how great you know Him. What is amazing is you haven't even scratched the surface. But you're not going to get to know Him better without a purposeful pursuit of adding knowledge. But understand, let me just insert, I'm not, this is not, Peter's not talking about knowledge for the sake of information. Paul said to Timothy, one of the signs of perilous times is going to be people are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is so much information available in 2019. It is crazy. What I used to have to go to the library to do for a college paper, my kids don't even have to leave home to do. But we can't quite come to the truth. There's more books now than ever. There's more podcasts and videos. Man, everybody's starting to, everybody's adding to. Man, everybody's got to write a book. Everybody's got something to say. And a lot of it, you know, may be okay. But we keep learning and learning and learning. But we're not coming to the real knowledge. So the point is not simply intellectual. Go back to that, uh, 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 I think one of these. Maybe it's in the, maybe it's more so in one of the root words of this word, not, but this, it's, it's experientially, or actually it was, weasts, thank you. And in the virtual, and in the virtue, add, add in the virtue, experiential knowledge. Job, I heard of you with my ears, but now, I have seen you with my own eyes. That was adding knowledge. Job had faith. Job had virtue. Job was the most righteous man of his time. And yet he only had heard about God. But he had some knowledge that God added to him. What is, what is the primary way in which I get to know God? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You cannot get to know God without getting into God's Word. I don't care how much time you spend in prayer. Because if you don't have Word to balance your prayer, you're going to end up in danger. Because the enemy is an imitator. And the enemy knows how to imitate 
a good feeling and the enemy knows how to, to say some things to you to try to deceive you. You need word to be able to balance out the feeling. I don't, I don't care how many spiritual, I don't care how spiritual or sensitive to the spirit you think you are. If you are not increasing your knowledge of the word, you are one of the most dangerous people around. Because the ultimate way I get to know, the ultimate way I increase my knowledge of Him, it's got to be through His Word. And what I'm doing tonight is only a portion of that. What happens on a Sunday morning and Sunday night is only a portion of that. You've got to dig in it for yourself. I just don't, usually we say, I don't understand the Bible. You know, I mean, King James, I don't agree with that guy that the King James is divinely inspired. Get you another translation for your daily Bible reading. Get something in a language you understand. Now, yeah, when you get into some doctrinal issues and stuff, you you need to stick to something that's a little more accurate. I get that. One way or the other, get in the Word. Because to your faith, you've got to add virtue. And to your virtue, you've got to add knowledge. And one of the ways to add that knowledge has got to be by the Word. what Paul says, Philippians 3, that I may what? Know Him. Yes, I just said it. Not undermining or taking away from what I just said. you got to know Him. The first way I get to know Him, the ultimate way I know Him is through His Word. But there's also more to knowing Him than just His Word. And that is my fellowship with Him. And Paul says, oh, that I may know Him. This was, I think you almost kind of got to hear this. As a, as, as a, you know, not just a, yeah, that I'm, you gotta hear this as a cry of desperation. Not desperation out of lack of faith, but desperation out of the intensity of desire. He says, I, I may know him. I want to know him. Of course, we love the first part. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Woo! I want to know him in all the great things he can do and all the, powerful ways he can work but Paul said I want to know him in the power of his resurrection but I also want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death there's a lot of Christianity today that loves the power of the resurrection but we don't want a fellowship with his suffering and we definitely don't want to become conformable unto his death But Paul understood, if I'm going to know you, I've got to know everything there is about you. (laughs) You ever had somebody you thought knew you? You thought you had a good relationship, and then they did or said something, and you're like, you don't know them. You don't know me. It kind of hurts. Like, man, I thought, but you don't know me. You don't. Why? Because you, you, maybe you only knew a part. There's more to God than just the power of His resurrection. And I just can't add the power, my knowledge of the power of His resurrection. I've got to add the knowledge of His sufferings. And I've got to be conformed unto His death. Paul said, i got to know Him. I, I need to experience Him. 
Ephesians 1, 6, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is what Paul's saying, I want God to do, and here's why. So that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul says, I, I, I want that what God would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then there's a colon. There's a colon. Because why? What does that mean? That means what's coming is expounding on what that... So Paul says, let me tell you what I mean by the knowledge of Him. That you might be able to know, that you might be able to understand these things, the greatness of His power, the, 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 the riches of His glory. I want you to know these things. What did the psalmist say? Oh, taste and see. That's getting to know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, experience for yourself. Back to verse 1 of the chapter we started with. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. But how is it that grace and peace are multiplied unto you? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you want grace and peace to be multiplied, you've got to increase your knowledge of God. You're not going to have increased grace and peace without an increase of your knowledge. Jesus, 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 God manifested in the flesh, tempted by the devil, says, It is written. It is written. I, I went today, we, we, Timothy's car has been for sale for a while, and finally got a buyer and Part of the part of the way to seal the deal was I I took the car to him and almost two hours away, but I'm like got to get this over with. And we went up and and actually the, the 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 route we went, Esther followed me in my car. I drove Timothy's car and and we went right smack through University of Delaware. I mean right. It looked like an ant hill, man. We were it must have been right in between classes because we got to one spot. I don't know if they got campus ministry there, Will. If they don't, they need it. I'm telling you what, it was just hundreds and hundreds of 
students. And there was one spot in particular coming out of there where I, I would pass through the most, the, the busiest area where most of the people were, but there was this, there was a road and it, it had split to the right and then sort of a little bit off of that to the left and then another road went to the left and there were train tracks there. There was a couple of crosswalks there and I'm trying to follow the GPS and I thought I did it right, but sure enough, it was the wrong one and so it had to recalculate and it was I just didn't really cost me much time but my point is I was not very safe driving at that moment because I'm trying to look at the road look at people look at the GPS I don't know the way I'm getting ready to get at when I get in my car this evening when I'm done here and go home it will be a very safe trip Because I will not be looking at my phone for directions. Why? Because I have hid it in my heart. You know why you end up falling into some temptation? Because you get, you get in the moment of temptation and you're trying to check the GPS. Now wait a minute. I I know what the preacher said, but what does the Bible say? Um, oh man, I, um, The psalmist said, I have hid your word in my heart. I've acknowledged it. I've acknowledged it to try to be encouraging to some of you. I hope my acknowledgement of it, of it, acknowledgement of it does not cause some of you to disrespect me, but whatever. If it helps somebody, it helps somebody. I I can quote all kinds of scriptures. I, I mean, I can quote all kinds of scriptures. I can't always tell you exactly where they are other than they're in the Bible. I remember some of you have been around long enough. You, you, you were there, maybe whether you remember or not. I, I, every now and then, didn't do all the time, but sometimes Bishop would be preaching and in the middle of his, he'd go, he'd start to reference the verse and he, he'd start trying to figure out where, and, and he'd say, he, he, he and this is a, this is in the days of a Thompson chain Bible. If you don't know what a Thompson Chain Bible is, you know, I mean, if, especially if you were called to preach. The crowning jewel of your calling was when you got your Thompson Chain Bible. I still got mine. I do too. And Bishop would go, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, I can see it. It's on this side of the page, about this spot on the page. Except, as we all know, he can quote it chapter, verse, and I can't do that. But I I, I got a bunch of it in there. I may have to go get my phone or my computer to tell you the exact spot. But when temptation comes, I'm not running to my computer. I may not be able to tell the devil where it is in the Bible, but he probably knows the location better than I do. But I am going to tell him I know what it says because it's written because I have added to my virtue knowledge. Peter, this is the final chapter or the final verse of his second epistle, he says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Think of, think of, you could think of some other things Peter could have said at the end of the second epistle as the final words. 
And there's a lot of things he could have said. A lot of things he could have said. But he says, I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I wonder if the reason basically he said that, because the bottom line is, I'm not sure if you could say anything more superior than growing in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because the context of knowledge here, again, is not head knowledge information, but it is experiential knowledge. And the more I get to know Him, the more everything else trickles down from that and comes into alignment. So He says, I want you to grow in grace and in knowledge. So add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge i've said it already one of these thursday nights i'm gonna say it again tonight i don't care how long you've been in this there is no there is no you know i i i think i think we probably could put this passage and these verses of adding to in the context of our education system you go through elementary school then you go through junior high Then you go through senior high. And then you can go on to college. But after college, you go on and get your grad. You can go on to doc, get your PhD. It is a continuing process. That is a 20 plus year process. And the bottom line is, spiritually speaking... It's the same way. I go through and I get some things down. I get some knowledge. But now it's time to go to them at another level. Now it's time to move on to a deeper depth and and understanding of those things. So as long as I am breathing, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when... When he appears, we shall be like him. That means this. If that's him appearing, and that's when you're like him, as long as there's any space, you are not fully like him. So there is room to grow and improve. Don't care what level of ministerial license you got in your pocket. I don't care how many Bible school degrees you get. I don't care how much you've learned. And I don't care what gifts of the Spirit you operate in. There is more to develop and increase in your life. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Till death do us part. So to our knowledge... Next, we are to add temperance. The word temperance means strong or robust. Having power over, possessed of a thing, mastering, controlling, curbing, restraining. (laughs) So the more faith I have, the more virtue that gets added to that, the more knowledge I have, the more controlled... I should be. Let me tell you something. If you've been walking for God with 20 years and you still can't control your mouth, there's a problem. You're living for God that long and you're still a gossip, there's a problem. 
you're still backbiting, there's a problem. Because you are learned that you don't need to tell everybody everything you think. You see, we, we have a tendency, and, and as I was studying and preparing for, 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 for tonight and, and studying, trying to dig into each one of these words, not only to be able to communicate them, but more so for my own benefit and knowledge and understanding, because I want, I, I don't know about you, I, I'm not just teaching this stuff these last couple of weeks. I am personally being stirred and challenged that I want this in my life more than ever. I want there to be an increase and an adding to of these things in my life. And, 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 you know, temperance, most of the time that word's kind of become used in the context of drinking. And we have a tendency. We have, we have this really bad tendency as, as disciples. We hear things in, a, in sort of a stereotypical context and we go, I don't have that problem with that. But if you dig a little bit, you might find out there's more to that than that. And maybe you do. So I am supposed to be learning how to control, to curb my impulses, my appetites. Adam Clark says with regards to temperance, it is a proper and limited use of all earthly enjoyments, keeping every sense under under proper restraints and never permitting the animal part to subjugate the rational. I know we got some younger ones here tonight, so I'll be very, try to be very discreet in this, but God created relations between a man and a woman. God designed that. The reason there's sexual abuse is because the animal part, the animal part is allowed to be in control and there's no temperance. To control the appetite. And so what was designed by God for a certain context, we, it gets out of control because we have no temperance. The word here, let me see, I, I, I don't, I, I, again, I put some of this in there for your benefit if you'd like to get this and study later, but there was, there was one point in here I, I, I wanted to, uh, there it is. Go back to this. Or let me go to this next. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. All things. This is Thursday night. This is, this is pretty much the core committed people of this church. Some that can't be here tonight for whatever reasons that are a part of that. I'm not saying if they're not here, they're not. But to this group tonight, I say, there's a bunch of us that need to take some inventory. Because we do okay in some areas, but we are not temperate in, temperate in all things. All things. All. What does all leave out? Now they do it. To obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So he's referencing natural things, but he's saying they do this for natural things. We ought to do this spiritually. Temperate in all things. I just want to read this last part. 
in talking about being temperate in all things and this abstinence from, it relates not only to indulgences unlawful in themselves, but to abstinence from many things that were regarded as lawful, but which were believed to render the body weak and effeminate. I'm not going to get all into it again tonight. I think it was last Thursday night where I took some time on it. Lay aside every weight and the sin. In the context of being temperate in all things, that means I may need to put some constraints on something in my life that is actually lawful, It's okay in the context of the Word of God, but for my salvation's sake, for my soul's sake, for my ministry's sake. You know what? You you can't... I don't know of it. If you've got it, please show me. It doesn't matter. I don't really do them anyway. I'm just not all that interested. It's not some high morals or whatever, but I I don't know that... I can't find anything in Scripture that you could use to say it's, it's a sin to play video games. Now, I do think you might be able to find some stuff that says it's a sin when regards to when you're doing all kinds of shooting and killing and unlawful stuff, stealing cars and running crime groups and all. I think you might be able. Just saying. I think you might be able when it's blood and guts or when it's got to do with witchcraft. or what. I think you might be able to find some things that that's sin. Bishop would say, sarcasm alert. But, but, but if it's not something immoral, impure, you know, sports game, car racing, you know, Mario Kart, whatever, I don't know. It may be lawful, but it may not be expedient. It might not, it may not be a sin, but for you. Not where I, I had an interesting. I, I, I was finishing up playing racquetball yesterday morning, and I was I put my gear, taking my glove and stuff off, and sitting there, and you know, trying to cool down. You got to climb like twenty steps that feel like they're not to code to leave. So you know, after working out, you got to work up the energy to leave because you got to <laughs> climb the steps. <laughs> I was sitting there, and this guy sat down, and one of the guys that's in the in the league I'm in, and he started he started talking about his kid. And next thing I know, he's talking about, you know, why we, sh- he, he got into talking about his, you know, kids and they, they get caught up in wanting everything and the next best thing and all this. And, and, and he starts going into about why we shouldn't compare ourselves among ourselves and, and that's not wise to do. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's some good preaching. <laughs> There's a whole lot of reasons why Paul said we don't compare ourselves among ourselves. And we don't judge ourselves by ourselves. Because if it's not, it may be lawful for all of us, but God may be calling me to something else. And if all I'm doing is looking at you and what you're getting away with, I mean, it's kind of like, I, I said it last week, one of the services, life is not fair. And, and there's, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. Some of y'all eat any stinking thing you want to eat, and you're just as skinny as you've ever been. And then others of us, all we got to do is look at it. It's just, or, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I ate just as much when I was, I, 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 think the, I, don't think I, I don't think I eat more now than I did when I was a teenager. The problem was I had way more activity when I was a teenager. 
It may be, it may be lawful. Oh, somebody. Maybe it may be lawful. But is it, is it good for you? Is it going to benefit you? It relates not only to indulgences unlawful in themselves, but to abstinence from many things that were regarded as lawful, but which were believed to render the body weak and effeminate. Listen to what the wise man says in Proverbs 16 and verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without it. I know the word temperance, temperate temperance is not in there but in essence that's what that's talking about he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city you get up and preach the greatest message that ever been preached but get in conversations and you can't control your tongue and you completely undermine yourself Get up and sing the most anointed solo that's ever been sung, but you can't control yourself. You can't guard your mouth. He says, if you're slow to anger, you're better than a mighty city. If you can rule your spirit, you can rule your spirit, and he that taketh a city. You can rule your spirit. You can control your appetites. We were, one of the things that, a little bit of the context of that conversation yesterday was, I mean, you know, there's some, there's certain things, and as I've said before, some of you, we, you got things you like, I could care less about, and vice versa. I got stuff I like, you could care less about. So whatever your vice is, you know what it is. I mean, some people's shoes, man, and I mean, they don't wear shoes out. They don't you they don't because the next latest newest pair comes out, and suddenly this is not good enough. You can't control your appetites. Peter's saying you ought to be adding some control. You ought to be adding. Moderation. You ought to be adding some boundaries and some guidelines. If all you're, if I, I, I think it was last week. I'll say it again tonight. If the only thing you're ever concerned about is sin, you will never become. You may get, you might get to heaven. I think there's a chance you can get to heaven, but you will not get there becoming everything God wanted you to become. If you're going to get there, you got to stop fussing over sin or not sin. You need to start figuring out what are the things that I need to get control of? What are the things that I need to eliminate from my life? I, I, I might as well get on it for a second. Social media. I can't find anything in the Bible to say that Instagram or Facebook is a sin. I don't know of anything. Again, I can find some principles about what's on there. And every now and then, over the past probably six, nine months, I, I've, I've, I've seen posts from a few people that used to be a part of this church and, 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 and saying some things, you know, about truth and not necessarily direct accusations against us. But, and, and one of those was the other day, and, and, and I, I sort of credit the individual because they said on there, if you got anything to say, private message me. 
Okay. But it, it, it popped up in my feed a day or two ago, and I noticed that there was like 30-something comments. And I started to go. And finally, I exercised a little bit of wisdom. Because I decided, you know what? Why do I want to expose myself to all this turmoil that I'm going to have to work through? And I clicked off and turned my phone off at that point and decided it's not worth it. Is it lawful? Maybe. Is it expedient? Absolutely not. I've got a bunch of books in my office that used to be my dad's and uh, through the years I've been reading them here and there and lately I've gotten one of them as an author by the name of Lloyd Jones and I I love reading I love reading books that were written 100 150 years ago I don't like all this fluffy new stuff I thought I, I this really is fleshly moment a fleshly moment I need a light you know like to turn on up here So that when I know I'm about to be totally in the flesh, I can put that light on, you know, kind of like the air light, on air light. And that way, we all know he's out of the spirit. I've referred a few times to some of this junk that gets preached or written, and I've always felt a little bad for that, and I'm not going to call any names. But I came across the other day a a, a very very well-known preacher, Pastor of one of the very large churches, a denominal, I think it's a, a denominal church, not like a, just a non-denominational deal. And, and I mean, one of the guys I have referenced and felt bad for, he was like quoting from the guy's book and shredding it to pieces. Like, wow, I guess I'm not, I'm a kind of nice guy after all. Anyway, so I, lately, I've, I've been digging into this guy, Lloyd-Jones' books, and he's got some really good stuff. And he says this in the context of this chapter. Faith, virtue, and knowledge are meant to contribute to our strength. But if a man does not control himself, it will mean the dissipation and wasting of energy. Doesn't matter how much faith you have, virtue, strength, power, doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, if you don't have control, it is a wasting of all of that. Oh, hallelujah. All of that becomes pointless. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you put bad gas in your car or something. I'm not in the mechanic side of thing, but you, or, or your computer, that's it. Computer, you know, anybody ever had your computer get so slow? Oh my goodness, so slow. Not running at the way that it's capable of running. Didn't matter if you had all the software. Didn't matter if you had all the memory. Didn't matter if it had the great processor. There was things that were inhibiting it from working the way it should be. I wonder, tonight, if I was to be able to take a really good look at me my life, I wonder if there's some things that are out of control that are inhibiting all of those other things to have the impact that they should be having in my life. I've used this so many times now, I'm sorry, I'm using it again, but it just 
it fits and it's the go-to one. Just walking around the gym and seeing guys who are there five mornings a week working out, sweating, working hard, and yet serious dad bod. Everybody heard that term? It's a, I don't know how long it's been around, but it's the term lately. I mean, it, there may be muscles, but they're hidden by a lot of other... I was uh, I was planning to get to the next one after this, but um, a little bit of pun intended, I'm going to slow down and stop with this one tonight. But it's going to take a few minutes, so don't get too excited. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, add patience. Oh, man. You know what? This, this definition right here in Strong's makes me want to agree with that guy that I saw that video. I don't want to read Strong's. Because patience is cheerful or hopeful endurance. I don't know about you, but cheerful and endurance are not words that go together in my vocabulary. I get so, I, 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 I hate jogging. I despise, I've done it several times for a period of time. I, I despise jogging. I, 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 I don't, I'll, I'll do a treadmill before I'll just jog. Cause at least on a treadmill, they got TVs and I'll watch TV, but I cannot stand jogging. I'll, I'll play ball for hours. I hate jogging. And what really drives me crazy is when you see two people out jogging and, and it's, it's, there's some indicators that let you know they did not just start five minutes ago. They've been going a while and the two of them, them are just prancing along in this conversation, smiling and cheerfully talking. What in the world is that? If I am going to jog, leave me alone, shut up, don't talk to me, don't say anything. I want my headphones in, I don't want any interaction. Patience is cheerful endurance. It is, according to Thayer's, steadfastness, constancy, endurance. A patient, steadfast, waiting for. A patient, enduring, sustaining. The root word of patience means to stay under or behind. I.e. remain, figuratively, to undergo. I.e. to bear trials, have fortitude, and persevere. We have to add To all that we've added so far, staying under. Kind of like I preached here in Arnold Sunday morning. You gotta, I can't, I can't tell the potter what to make me, but I actually can give the potter permission to make me. I have to decide 
with the squeezing and the shaping and the molding on the potter's wheel, I am going to stay under. Faith, I'll read it to you here in a few minutes, but I, I, I'll, I'll say it now. The biggest issue new believers have in sticking in their walk with God is not faith. I said it, I think, last week. Faith is never, I, I, faith is never our problem. Sorry, I just, I, I, I think I've got book for that. Faith is never your problem. A lack of faith is not your issue. A mustard seed of faith, you got enough to move a mountain. And you're going to tell me faith is the problem? The problem we all struggle with, and the reason so many people that start out so excited living for God backslide is they never get patience and decide, you know what, I'm going to stay under. How many of you, when you first, first of all, let me finish, second of all, be honest. Don't sit there and lie to impress everybody. When you first got the Holy Ghost and got saved, you started telling everybody, this is the best thing that's ever happened. This is the mo- man, this is so awesome. But then at some point later, you're like, man, it, it was easier when I was in the world. This is as hard. Now, I know some of you know, not me. Well, but for the folks that are real and honest, it was. And part of the reason for that is simple. Before living for God, you didn't have a warfare going on. You did what you wanted, how you wanted. There was no conflict. After you get saved, there's now a conflict because your flesh doesn't die. It still has its desires. But now the spirit man has come alive and it wants knowledge and experience and understanding. And so the carnal man and the spiritual man are now going head to head. And then we end up going, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I lived, was given for God for. And some people decide, I will not stay under because they have not been adding. They have not added patience. Again, patience to us. Sitting in the doctor's office, your appointment's an hour ago, they're running behind, and you're just sitting there with a smile on your face. No, that's not what this patience is. Patience, according to the Bible exposition commentary, is the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Mm, I feel the need to preach a little bit, but I'm not. It is the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. Self-control has to do with handling the pleasures of life, while patience relates primarily to the pressures and problem of life. Adam Clark says, bearing patience is bearing all trials and difficulties with an even mind, enduring in all and persevering through all. We're we're working on uh, uh, eventually making these, getting these in a a way that you can access them. I was given several years ago now some videos that were done in a, I don't know how many of you know this, there used to be a Bible college in Dover, Delaware called Kent Christian College. And for a while it was... It was up there with the main Bible colleges in the UPC, and it, it closed down years ago. But at one point, I think it's sometime in the 80s, I think, they, they had some amazing men of God come in and 
this is pretty common nowadays, but I don't think it was as common back then. And, and they would sit in a studio or stand in a studio and simply teach to the camera. And Brother Billy Cole, one of the most powerful men of God that has lived in the last century, was one of those, and, he, and he's talking about spiritual preparation. I was listening, kind of subconsciously listening, as I often do today while I was doing other stuff. And, and he got to talking about, I, I think he said that God promised him that he, he preached this message about the restoring of the church and that God promised him what happened in the book of Acts. We were going to see it in our day. And one of the things was that he was going to see 3,000 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he would preach that message and he would say, I've never seen it, but I'm going to see it. I've never seen it, but I'm going to see it. And I forget how long he said he preached that he was going to see. One day, he was going to personally see 3,000 people get the Holy Ghost. It didn't happen for a long time. But guess what? Finally, it happened. And if you know anything about him, not only did he see 3,000 people, literally, he went on to see thousands and thousands in a given day. He would have never gotten there if he did not have patience to stay under. And you know what? One of the main things we got to stay under a lot of times is this. Because we are weighted down by fear and doubt and worry. Well, if I got a, a brother right, I can't go anywhere without this. No, what I mean is I can decide I am going to let go of the promises and relieve myself from the pressure and get out from under it. And if God does it, so be it. If He doesn't, whatever. I gotta decide. I'm gonna stay under. I gotta stay under. We, brother, brother, brother Bruce Ellenberger came to me, I think, three or four years ago at least now. We were at a men's conference in Salisbury. He came up to me in a service there and expressed to me for the first time between the two of us his burden for Glen Burnie. And that was, that was before we started anything. We were just talking about it. And then finally we started, went for a little while and felt led to kind of take a break and shut it down. I got all these wonderful children waving and smiling and <laughs> can't pass it up. Especially this one because it's taken a lot of work to get to this point right here. Yes. She has now gone from running to her mother when I try to talk to her to now sneaking up to me. I, he, he, through it all, he keeps, Brother Wright, I, I, all I know is this. All I know is God's going to, all I know is there's going to be a great harvest in Glenburn. All I know, you know what he's doing? He's staying under. Amen. He could have come to me after we decided to take a break up there from service and said, listen, whatever you do in the future, that's up to you, but I'm out of it. No, he has stayed under. Stayed under. Gone through some obstacles and adversity. Oh, Lord. I, I, don't, I, don't, think you can put, I don't think you can put a value on any of these above any of the other ones that Peter's talking about. But I'm going to tell you, this one right here is one of the most critical. I'll read a few verses in a moment that will demonstrate that. 
But this one first, James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Boy, I mean, you don't hear that in 2019. Count it all joy when you get a new car. Count it all joy when you get a new job. Count it all joy when you're, when you're, when you're healthy and no issues in your, in your body. James says, count it all joy when you got troubles and tests going on. Why? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Is it James or is it another writer? Help me out. That says the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. And there are verses that says that. Close to that. The trying of your faith. Not your faith. Hello? 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 Not that your faith is more precious. The trying of your... Why is the trying of your faith more precious? Because an untested faith is not really all that precious. This chair will hold me. I believe this chair. I believe that chair can hold me. I believe that. Boy, I believe that chair. Man, I believe. I, all, I believe if I sat in that chair to hold me. Woo, I believe. That's faith. But what's more precious than that is when I decide to put some action to my faith. And now I go, hey, you know what? My faith really works. And that really does hold me. The very things. Oh, Lord. We, please hear that word we. I didn't say you, I said we. We, 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 we. Not W-I-I, W-E. The very things we spend the most time praying for God to take out of our lives are the most precious gifts because those are the things that are the proving of our faith. And he says the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience, let, somebody say let, let, allow patience to have her perfect work, her complete work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Oh, Lord. The trying of your faith produces endurance. The only way to increase your physical endurance is you've got to push yourself. You've got to put it to the test. It's got to be tried. But the trying of your faith is producing patience. It's producing endurance. It's producing the ability to stay under. Anybody living under the, let me finish. Anybody living tonight under the weight of some promises God has given you? Now I know on one hand, I know, let me finish, that that is not, this is, I am not setting you up, okay? (laughs) On one hand, I know God's promises should not be a burden to us because God's got, I know all that. That's for the non-humans. For the rest of us, that it's a daily walk and struggle. There are times that some of those promises feel like a weight. I mean, I'll give you one of mine. I, again, I know it's not about a building. It's not about four walls, okay? I, 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 
Everybody get that. But one of mine is every time I walk into a service here and half the chairs are empty. Because I've got more than just my own personal hope that God's going to fill this sanctuary and beyond. We've got promises. Multiple promises. So it'd be nice, sometimes my flesh thinks it'd be nice to walk in here and go, you know what, we got a decent crowd, good enough. No. But I've decided, and that's only one of them, and you've got your own, I've decided I'm going to stay under it. Because if God said it, He is going to do it. And patience is producing something. Let patience have her perfect work, her complete work. So look at this, Romans 2, 7. To them who by what? Patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope, in hope, in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in, glory in what? You shall see that in my font too small. We glory, we celebrate tribulation. We celebrate the challenges. Because those things, we know that tribulation is going to produce patience. I don't know about you, I don't want God producing patience in me. Anybody here ever prayed for patience? Anybody ever prayed? Anybody? A couple of you have. I don't know if I have or haven't. Any of you that ever prayed for patience feel like you have some patience now? No? A little bit? How did you get that little bit of patience, Sister Johnson? By the trial, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you've oh, God. This, you see, I mean, we want, we want, oh, God, give me patience. And we want God to say, here you go, here's your patience. And then we're like, yeah, I got patience. Woohoo! Look what I got. Nanny, nanny, nanny. We go, oh, God, give me patience. And God's like, all right, I will. But, I, you know, there's a, there's a process to the giving. It's kind of like that prayer. Here's another one. Most of us have prayed. God, use me. Everybody pray that prayer? God, use me. Anybody ever wish you hadn't prayed? I got to back up for a second because I just got a little pastoral concern. How many of you have never prayed for God to use you? Okay, because a couple of you didn't raise your hands. Hopefully at some point you prayed, God, use me. Oh, God, use me, use me. God, use me however. I mean, I've actually done it with tears sometimes, like real tears. Use me, God, more than anything, God, I want you to use me. You do? Yes. Oh, yes, God. Okay, I will. I didn't know what I was asking. I was asking for trouble and trials and tests and pain and suffering and heartache. Like, wait a minute. I was I was looking for a prepackaged gift. But tribulation worketh, worketh, produces patience. 
And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I, I, I gotta hurry on, but I just can't pass this. I, I love this passage, and most of us don't, don't get the benefit of this passage. How many of you are currently going through something that you feel like and I'm, I, or it, or in, in your mind, it is the most difficult thing you have ever been through. Anybody? Several of you. It is the, it's, it's the most challenging thing. Now, now, to those of you that just raised your hand, I got a question. Is there anything in your past that you went through that when you were going through that, it was the most difficult thing you have ever been through? But now this is the most difficult. Well, part of the reason is you can't increase your strength if all you ever do is lift five-pound dumbbells, right? I mean, you don't get guns from five-pound dumbbells. You don't get that. You got to... So the last thing you went through probably was... The biggest, hardest thing you ever went through. And now you're going through the latest, hardest thing you've ever been through. But what you're supposed to do is go, hold on a minute. I've got some hope that God's going to get me through this. And here's why I have hope. Because I have some experience. I have been through some things before where I said, I don't know how God's going to get me through this. I don't know what the answer is. And yet you're through it. Because you had some tribulation that produced patience. So now you're supposed to go, wait a minute. I did this years ago. I'll never forget this. We were, we were in the days of the school. And we had a Christian school here. Every summer, you, there was, without fail, there was going to be needs for staff. Always needs for staff. And one, one summer, it was like early August. And we had, a, I forget the exact role, but it was a major hole we needed to fill. And I'm like stressing out. We need a teacher. And I can remember literally, literally telling myself, in three or four weeks from now, God's going to take care of this. You're going to have the teacher and everything's going to be fine. So don't worry about it. We got to have a teacher. We got to have a teacher. Oh my God. We, I don't have, I don't have, what are you doing? God's got this. It's going to be all right. You're not supposed to stress. It's all going to work. You know what happened in about three or four weeks? God provided a teacher. But I stressed out when I was supposed to go, wait a minute, I've been through some things before that I didn't know how in the world I was going to get through them, but God provided, and I'm going to build on that for this. I don't know how God's going to get me through this, but what I do know is God's gotten me through stuff before that I didn't know how I was going to get through. Tower, this is flight number 648. Requesting approach. <laughs> Romans eight twenty four. We are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why doth he yet hope for? What, what does it have to do with patience? Because if you're going to hope for what you don't see and not let go, you've got to have some endurance. Not going anywhere. I don't care what it looks like. I'll be transparent with you all. It's, it, none of this... None of what we do, numbers are not the most important thing. Please hear me, okay? Please. Numbers are not the most important thing. But obviously numbers are a measurement 
that do help us with some things. We've been doing really good on Thursday nights. We've had some. We've been having some. We've almost been almost at three hundred or two hundred, little over two hundred, a couple times on Thursday nights, which is really good. The night, the the Thursday before Labor Day, we dropped down. We had one hundred fifty-two people here that Thursday night. You know what? I'm like, well, that's all right. It's Labor Day weekend. Last weekend, last whatever. Next week will be good. Last week was next week. Well, everybody's home from traveling. We got attendance is going to be back up on Thursday night. Last week we had 154 people. I haven't looked at what we've had tonight, but it's not much better than that. Hope says, I see one thing, but God says another. Hope says, and hope, again, hope here is not, I hope, I hope I get a mate. No, not, that's not. This, the word hope, if you don't know it, back to the Greek, it is confident expectation. It is a certainty. It's not a wish. We, we, I think we think a lot of times of hope as a wish. That's not that word. That word is, a, God has said it. Paul said of Abraham, he believed He was fully persuaded that what God promised he was able to perform. That is a confident expectation. 2 Corinthians 6 and 1. We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and afflictions and necessity. Here we go, last couple of verses and I'm done. Hebrews 6 and 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise, faith and patience. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Hebrews 10.36 I'm going to read this and kind of twist it up, but it's saying the same thing. After you've done the will of God, you have need of patience. After you've done the will of God, you need patience to receive the promise. After, somebody hear me, I'm almost done, but somebody needs to get this. After you've done, you see, we think I've done the will of God, I should get it. I work, I get paid, right? I obey, I get paid. After you've done the will of God, that means after you've done the will of God, there's going to be a waiting time that you have got to stay under. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Back to verse 12 of Hebrews 6, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience. You can, you can go... You can go read, you can go find messages on faith, you can go read books about faith. Man, there's songs, we used to sing years ago, faith, 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 just a little bit of faith, faith, faith. Anybody y'all ever remember that? We sing that in church sometimes. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot, just use what you got. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. That really is true. What we also need to sing is... Patience, 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 just a whole lot of patience. Because you need a little faith. Hello? I'll be like someone in preaching. I'm preaching good right now. You need a little bit of faith, but you need a whole TL trash truckload. As full as you can get that roll off. Of patience, and that might not be enough. But I did the will of God, and nothing has happened yet. Keyword, yet. But did you do the will of God? You're not supposed to spit when you teach, only when you preach. If you did the will of God, then you need to get it settled. It's going to happen, and I'm going to be here when it happens. Faith, 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 faith says God can do it. Faith says God can do it. Patience says I'm going to be here when God does it. And a lot of people have the faith, but they don't make up their mind in that waiting time that I'm not going anywhere, having done all to stand, stand therefore, because I have a hope that God is going to do. And so I'm going to keep piling on some patience. You need faith. You need virtue. You need knowledge. But you definitely need some endurance. Let, 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 let patience have her perfect word. I just almost finished at this point, I think, one of my annual fall traditions, the reseeding of my lawn. You throw that grass seed out there, there ain't nothing. In fact, the way I understand to do the process Go out there and rake some of that stuff up. Man, it looks ugly. Oh, it looks ugly. You throw out seed and fertilizer. My faith says that seed has the everything in it to produce grass. My patience says I am going, if it doesn't rain, for at least 10 to 14 days, water Every single day. You throw the seed out there, it's got all the ability. But if you don't have some endurance and do what is needed, it's not going to produce. 
I got a question tonight. What is more important? God getting you out of the struggle and the discomfort of the situation you're in or patience having her perfect? Perfect. I, I, I just started these last couple of years getting... I've, I've grilled stuff for years, but now I've tried my hand a couple of times at, at least baking cookies. But I, I'm, not, I'm not a knowledgeable baker, but I do understand... You take it out of the oven too soon. It's not ready. It's got to reach that proper point. How many things have we tried to take out of God's oven before they were done? Because all we, were care, all we cared about is I am under it. And I don't want to be under it. And you can. You can convince God sometimes to give you a break. And He will before He's done. The only problem is when the last day of class comes, he comes up and says, uh, you need to see your guidance counselor because you got to re-enroll. And you're going to do it. Whoa, wait a minute. No, because patience needs to have her perfect, her complete work. They've, 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 they've stalled for a couple of valid, legitimate reasons. Nobody's fault. They've, but they've, I mean, the last two weeks on our addition project, there's basically no progress. I'm like about to have to blow leaves from out of the inside of the house. Do you know what? My patient says, I'm letting them do a complete work. I'm not moving my bed into what's going to be the master bedroom right now with studs and electrical wires and plumbing exposed because there is not a complete work. If you will let the potter in his time and his way, he will complete the work. But you've got to be willing to stay under. Father, help us tonight. God, I believe that I am amongst a group of people that have a hunger and desire to grow in you, to become in you everything you've called them to be individually. God, we've been digging these last couple of weeks into this passage, and you promised, you spoke through the Apostle Peter and said, if we have these things added in our lives, we will not be barren or idle, and we will not be unfruitful. I pray, God, tonight for every person that's a part of this congregation that you would awaken within us a hunger and a desire. You have given us, you've already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And you've already given us exceeding great promises. But we have got to beside those things add faith, virtue, and knowledge, and patience, and the other things stated. And I pray tonight, help every one of us. Help us, God. God, I pray that Every one of us would get the complete revelation that this is not a passive thing. This is not something that I just sit back and wait for you to do in me. But it requires active participation. It requires effort and work on my part to add these things. To work together with you and your spirit that's working in me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, as a congregation, as a church, we don't want to be barren and unfruitful. 
we don't want to we don't want to be lacking in any of these things god so i pray that by your grace you would help us you would awaken us to do our part to give all diligence individually and collectively to adding these things that we might experience all the things that you have god in the name of jesus christ in jesus name in jesus name amen praise god god bless you Thank you again for being here tonight. I look forward to seeing you throughout the weekend at some point in Jesus' name.